Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus sent the 12 disciples out and empowered them to drive out demons, to cure diseases, and to heal the sick. As Christians, we are called to serve Jesus Christ our Lord. It is important for us to understand that when Jesus directs us in how to serve him, he also gives us the power and authority to do the work. Are you serving Jesus in the kingdom of God with the power and authority he has given you? Let's open our Bible now to Luke chapter 9 and see how we can better serve our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ with the power and authority he has given us. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It is a Wednesday morning here in Texas and hopefully y'all just loving on Jesus, spending time with Jesus, growing to know Jesus, growing to love him, growing to uh, obey him in every aspect of your life, okay? Every aspect of our lives, spiritually, physically, emotionally, financially, and relationally, Okay, we want to grow to be more and more and more like Jesus. Um, and we do that um, by primarily spending time in the word of God as we as we spend time reading the scriptures, studying the scriptures, memorizing the scriptures, meditating on the scriptures and above all, obeying the scriptures. We grow to know Jesus more. We grow to be like him more and our lives take on more meaning in, in every way. Um, obviously, we have time in prayer. We have time in thanksgiving. We have time in praise and worship and fellowship and community. Um, we have time in repentance. All of these things are, are tools the Lord has given us that we might grow in our relationship with him. But the primary way we do that is by, is by spending time feeding our spirit and soul in the living word of God, in our Bibles. So thank you, Lord Jesus. All right, so today we're going to, uh, we finished the book of Galatians. Thank you, Lord, that was incredible. Um, just seeking the Lord where to go next. I, I'm not sure, frankly. And so, uh, you know, um, a few months ago, we did Luke chapters um, six, seven, and eight. And so now, you know, we're gonna do Luke chapter nine, for probably the next four teachings um, ought to bring us through Luke chapter nine. So thank you, Lord Jesus. Um, you notice the hat, the trust Jesus hat. Um, I, uh, I was in subway. It's a subway that I go to routinely. Um, and a, and a man that works there is a, is a Christian brother and he's on fire for Jesus and he's passionate for Jesus. And whenever I walk in and I've given him gospel tracts and talked to him about Jesus, I mean, he's quoting the word of God. This man knows the Bible. Um, and, and he's always saying, Hey preacher. And you know, um, and so when I got there this time, he said, hold on, hold on, hold on. I got something for you. I got to give you something. And he ran out to his car and he brought this back and he said he had gotten this, this hat for me. Um, and so I appreciate you, brother. And, um, he asked me to wear it the, uh, the next time I was preaching. And so that's why I got my trust Jesus hat on. I like it. I may turn it on backwards if we get rolling here. Um, but, uh, I mean, it's a good hat, right? Um, I mean, I, I think the pink does me a little justice. It's complimentary to me. I would say 
And so uh, thank you, Lord Jesus. It's a for those that are listening on the podcast or on, you know, Apple, Google or SoundCloud or uh, um, or Spotify. I'm, I'm wearing a pink hat uh, ball cap that says trust Jesus across the front. So you can't really get a, a better hat than that. Obviously, those on YouTube can see it as well. So that's what's up with that. So. All right. Well, Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy, your favor, your goodness, and your grace on our lives, Lord. Father, we thank you for our Bible, Lord. We just thank you for the the living word of God. But Father, above all, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for becoming a human man for us. We thank you for living a perfect, righteous life for us. We thank you for dying a perfect righteous death for us and we thank you that you are alive and risen today and we worship you today lord jesus holy spirit we ask you to lead us and guide us now we ask you to give us eyes that see and ears that hear and hearts that understand your word in jesus name amen and amen thank you lord jesus okay all right let me try this right here all right all right so luke 9 Um, We're going to do verses 1, and Lord willing, we'll get through 17. Okay. All right. Luke 9, verse 1. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on. And he was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead, others that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him. And they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging, because we are in a remote place here. He replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so and everybody sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay. 
All right, we're rolling here. All right, verse one. All right, when Jesus had called the 12 together, these are the 12 the disciples, the 12 apostles that he called. It's interesting that, that he calls them disciples here, and when they come back, they're called apostles, and we won't make too much of that. Um, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. Verse 2, and he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So you notice first off that those who Jesus calls into his service, and every Christian is called to serve Jesus Christ, he gives power and authority of different kinds, okay? When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, okay? So again, when Jesus commissions you, and every Christian, every true, genuine Christian who has received Jesus Christ and is alive in Christ, um, has been commissioned by Jesus and has been given power and authority by Jesus, okay? Um, in this case, the, the 12 are given power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, okay? Now, in, in the body of Christ today, okay, when you're dealing with demonic forces or when someone is sick, okay, the power is always in the name of Jesus, okay? Um, again, there are people that are skilled in these type of ministries and driving out demons. And, you know, this is, you know, it's not something that we just want to play around with, okay? Um, you know, for those who, you know, again, this is not my particular lane. I have some exposure to it. Um, when, 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 when dealing with demons, it's, it's, you know, you're never going to engage with a demon except to, to drive them out in the name of Jesus. Simply saying, in the name of Jesus, you know, demonic spirit, you have no place here. In Jesus' name, be gone. Okay? Uh, in the name of Jesus, be gone. Okay, so it, it's not something where you engage with a demon. You don't you don't talk to a demon. Um, you certainly don't, you know, uh, slander a demon. Right. You remember in Jude, it said that, you know, even the archangel Michael, when disputing with the devil about the, bo the body of Moses, didn't dare bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said only my Lord rebuke you. Okay. And so again, when dealing with demons, it's simply my Lord Jesus rebuke you. Be gone. The power is in Jesus and in the name of Jesus, you know, when dealing with demonic forces. Now, again, like I said, there are Christians who, uh, who are skilled in this um, and to recognize when, you, when we are dealing with a demon or a demonic force. So it's not something you play with. It's not a game. Um, C.S. Lewis said, you know, there are two great errors when dealing with the demons or the devils. Um, and that is to, uh, you know, to not believe in, the, believe in them at all or to, or to pay them too much attention. Okay. So it's a reality. Jesus gives the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles power and authority to drive out all demons. Okay. So obviously demons are real. Okay. Um, 
because Jesus gives them power and authority to drive them out of people. Okay. And it says, and he gave them power and authority and to cure diseases. Okay. Now, again, this is a special power and authority that he gave to the disciples to do this work that he had called them to do. Again, there are people um, who have a, a lane, who have an understanding when it comes to, to giftings uh, or spiritual giftings in, in dealing and curing diseases. Um, again, it's something we want to, you, you certainly don't want to, to, to deny gifts of healing in the body of Christ. Um, but at the same time, you know, uh, gifts of healing have been abused over the years, right? Um, you know, there has been abuse in the name of Christian healing. There are, there are people who have, you know, sold, you know, hundred or thousand dollar bottles of water for healing and all that's an, an, an obvious abuse. Okay. And so it's something we want to be tempered in. We don't want to make, um, irrational judgments against people who are claiming healing gifts, but at the same time, we don't want to be duped, right? We do have to do due diligence, okay? Um, and then that's what I'm going to say about that. There are some ministers, there are some people who feel it's their responsibility um, and that, you know, it's, you know to, to be the custodian of all preachers, who, and particularly those who are claiming prophetic gifts or healing gifts, um, and they seem to monitor everything they do and they pick certain things out of certain videos they have. Um, and again, I, what I'm saying is, you know, we do want to be wise. If there are false teachers and they're teaching a false gospel and they're claiming healing gifts that are certainly false, that, then certainly we need to, you know, we need to rebuke that and correct that. But at the same time, you know, we ought to be careful that just because it's something we don't understand, just because it may not be our lane, so to speak, um, my primary lane is to teach the word of God. Okay. Um, that's where Jesus has gifted me, has given me power and authority. But that doesn't mean that there are not people who have been gifted in these other areas. Um, um, again, as far as what we see in the scriptures, obviously we don't see that happening with the same, you know, with the same consistency as you see in the scriptures, you know, we don't see people getting healed as they were in Peter's shadow. Um, so again, you know, hear my heart on this again. We, we obviously believe in healing. Okay. God certainly heals. Obviously in the name of Jesus is how you deal with demonic forces. When it comes to gifts of healing, meaning that God gives a particular gift to a man or woman, whether it be in healing or prophecy or tongues or any of the gifts of the spirit. Again, we don't want to be quick to judge that. Okay. Um, it's a doctrine called cessationism that says that, you know, that the gifts of the spirit and these incredible empowerments of the Holy Spirit, that they ended with the early church. It does not say that anywhere in the scriptures. Okay. Now, obviously we recognize that that these things aren't happening in the way that they were happening in the early church, but nowhere in the Bible does it say that the spirit of God changed, that God changed. Uh, personally, my belief is not that, that God has changed. I believe the church is the problem. I personally believe that we're the reason 
we don't see the the gifts of the spirit in the way of uh, in the way of prophecy in the way of in the gifts of healing and the gifts of tongues and the gifts of miracles. I believe it's because the church has become so fractured. What do we have? 1100 denominations. We, we cannot all get on the same page, not even close. We're, we're just, we are such a fractured body of Christ. And that's real. That's a fact that because we lack so much unity, you know, God is not mocked and, you know, you know, he's not allowing the gifts of the spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't distributing his gifts in the same way. So I'll, I'll say it again. Um, nowhere in the scripture does it say that once the Bible was completed, that no more is the Holy Spirit distributing his gifts in the way he was in the early church. Um, again, I, I certainly admit that I, that I certainly have never seen it like I did in the early church, but but experience is 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 not the foundation. The foundation is what the Word of God teaches. And never can any rational scholar say that anywhere in the Bible does it say that God is changed and no more is, you know, is the Holy Spirit, you know, um, empowering people with the gifts of the Spirit. So, again, um, that's important to say. Um, so, again, when, when someone is claiming gifts, certainly need they need to be tested. That is for sure. If someone is claiming healing gifts, if someone's claiming prophetic gifts, they certainly need to be tested and they need to be held accountable for these claims. But, you know, we don't just want to immediately dismiss them as heretics or false teachers. And so it's something you need to, you know, we need to do, you know, with wisdom and with caution, um, you know, and with, and with with utmost seriousness. Okay. Um, and so now Jesus has gifted, has empowered these, these, these 12 to do this work of driving out demons and to cure diseases. He also, it says, and he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick, right? So to heal the sick and cure diseases are obviously very similar. And he's empowered him to do that as well. So again, all Christians have been empowered by Jesus. Again, we don't see today, you know, these same gifts of healing manifesting in the same way. And I've already told you that I believe that's that's because we lack unity as a body of Christ. Um, it says he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So they were sent out, empowered by Jesus, to preach that the kingdom of God had arrived on the earth in the person of Jesus Christ, that the Messiah had arrived, the Savior had, had arrived, the promised Savior of the Old Testament had arrived. So they were preaching that all the prophecies in the Old Testament of the coming Messiah had come to pass, the Savior was here, his name is Jesus, and the kingdom of God, okay, had arrived in the person of Jesus Christ. Preaching the gospel of salvation is a little different than preaching the gospel of the kingdom. The, the, the gospel of salvation for us is certainly included in the gospel of the kingdom of God, right? The gospel of salvation is that all human beings are sinful. All human beings are hopeless, helpless, desperate, and in need of a savior. And, and only in Jesus Christ can they be saved from their sin. Only in Jesus Christ 
can humanity be delivered from eternal hell and spend eternity in heaven with the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Um, and the good news is that because we're in that state, our God, the Son of God, Jesus, became a man on our behalf and in our place, lived a perfect, righteous life on our behalf and in our place that we could not live, died a perfect, righteous, torturous death on our behalf and in our place that we should have died and was raised from the dead, okay? And that by trusting and relying and having our full confidence in Jesus alone, by receiving Jesus, right? John 1.12 says that to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That by receiving in Jesus, by putting your full faith, trust, confidence in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul, you would receive eternal life, okay? And will receive eternal life. That's the gospel of salvation. Now, that's, that's part of the, the bigger, right, gospel of the kingdom of God, right? And that is that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven has come to earth in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior has come, okay? Um, and certainly we want to give our lives to him and trust him and, and live our lives, you know, in and through and for Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 3. This is interesting. He told them, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. Verse four, whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. Verse five, if people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. This is interesting. Why would Jesus say this? And, you know, when we were talking about this in Bible study yesterday, we, you know, with all the leaders in kingdom discipleship, um, we were all saying that, yeah, this this wouldn't be comfortable for us, right? So he sends them out to do the work of the kingdom of God, okay? To preach the kingdom of God, to heal the sick, to drive out uh, demons, to cure diseases. Um, he empowers them to do that. He gives them the power. So I'll say again, those who Jesus calls into his service empowers them to do the work as well. But then he says, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. And so he expects that the people they're serving to take care of them, right? He expects that, you know, the people that are hearing the message of the kingdom of God, the people that are receiving the blessings to take care of them. And he's also, you know, he's calling them to have faith in him that he will, that these things will be provided for them. Right. I mean, obviously, if, if, if any one of us went out right rap to to do this work, you know, you know, we would want to pop. Right. You know, we'd want to be taking our staff, our bag, our bread, our money and our tunic. We'd be wanting to pack a bag. We'd want to have money in our pockets. But, you know, he expects them to trust him for their daily necessities. So as they go out to do the work of the kingdom, they're also growing to trust that Jesus will provide for them, you know, and provide for their daily needs by those, you know, who are receiving their ministry, okay? Verse four, whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. So he expects, again, the people that they're serving, the people that they're preaching to, the, the people that, you know, they're driving out demons, healing the sick, curing diseases, 
that these, you know, these people will provide for them. That's obviously our job today. It's our job in the body of Christ to support our ministers that are doing the work of Christ. Okay. Um, you know, you, you ought to be consistently giving, right? Uh, your tithe is a good place to start, right? Giving into the kingdom of God, right? You know, you ought to be giving, you know, a portion of your income. As I said, a, a tithe is a good place to start. Giving 10% of whatever the Lord, you know, whatever money you make in the advancement of the kingdom as to where, you know, wherever, you know, you're receiving instruction and teaching and discipleship and accountability, you know, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, okay? Um, now, now, again, you know, hopefully you're in a good, sound church that's teaching you the Word of God, but it's not just going and sitting in a pew, okay? You need to be receiving instructions. You need to be in personal relationship. You need to have relationship with your pastors and elders and, and church leaders. They need to be, you know, spending time with you. Again, the vast majority of Christians in the body of Christ have no relationship at all with their pastors or church leaders or elders. Um, and, and it's unbiblical. Okay. Um, again, it's not that, you know, in the larger churches, it's, it's hard to know them, but if you're serious about Christ and you're in a church, um, you should be in a good sound church. Um, but you ought to have relationship with your leaders. They ought to be holding you accountable. If they're not, there ought to be people somewhere, whether it's in other ministries, whether it's other churches or other Christians, but wherever you're receiving instruction in the word of God, wherever you're receiving accountability and discipleship, wherever men and women are giving you their time, right? And this is their work. You ought to be supporting that work. Jesus said in verse five, if people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. Now, this was heavy in the, in the culture of that time. When people would go through a Gentile town, um, a non-Jewish town, and a town where where people had no belief in the God of the Bible, they weren't living according to what the Bible, you know, how the Bible told them to live. Um, again, when they were just living sinful and different lives, um, when you left that town, you know, you would shake the dust off your feet to say, you know what, that I don't want any anything to get on me from this town. I don't want the unbelief to get on me. I don't want the indifference to get on me. I don't want the immorality to get on me. I don't want the idolatry to get on me. Um, and so you would shake the dust off your feet because these, you know, these towns or these people had no interest in the God of the Bible, had no interest in following the God of the Bible. So as a sign, as if to say, you know, again, I don't want any any of this ungodly, sinful unbelief and unbehavior to get on me, you'd shake the dust off your feet. Um, and that was a practice. So Jesus says in verse five, if people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. This is a heavy word that they're out preaching the kingdom of God, that the savior has come. The Messiah has come. Repent now and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Trust the Messiah. This is the true Messiah prophesied in the Old Testament. Um, and, and again, he also gave them this power, right, to not only preach the kingdom, but to drive out demons, you know, to free people of demonic oppression um, and demonic possession. Um, and he gave them authority to, to cure diseases and heal the sick. 
But he says, if people do not welcome you, if they just, they don't want to hear about Jesus, they don't want to hear about the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ, our Lord, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. It's, it's not a small thing to reject Jesus. It's not a small thing to reject the ministers of Jesus who are earnestly trying to bring you the gospel. Okay. Now, again, this is not talking about someone who's trying to understand Christ trying to understand the word of God, trying to grow in the word of God. This is just people who claim that they know something, claim that, you know what, they're certain Jesus isn't real. This is kind of a big deal to, re to, 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 to reject Christ in this way. So if you're somebody and you're listening to this and, you know, you've been someone who's just nonchalantly said, yeah, Jesus isn't real or blown off Jesus or just made you know, inappropriate comments about Jesus or somehow claim that that you know that Jesus isn't the only way. It, it, it's an area of repentance. It's a place for you to come back and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me, right? All of us have said foolish things, okay? And the good news, we have a Lord who will receive our, our repentance and our earnest plea for forgiveness, okay? Verse six, so they set out and went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere, okay? So this is why I'm saying, we don't see these kind of gifts and actions. Certainly, I've never seen them in my life. Healing people everywhere. It doesn't mean the gifts are not there. It doesn't mean that the Lord hasn't given them in part. Um, and as I said, I believe because we're such a, a fractured church that can't get along, that, that these gifts have not been distributed by any means in the same way. But it's not because God has changed. It's not because he's decided now in some disposition that he doesn't want to doesn't want to heal in this way. I believe we are the problem. When you study the early church, you can really see that, you know, one of the greatest qualities they had is is unity. Right. They were all in one accord. They were united. They were in one heart um, with with, you know, just in everything. Right. Their heart was so united in Christ that the power of God manifested in these ways and the gifts of God were distributed in these ways. We have almost no unity in the body of Christ at large. We have, you know, tens of thousands of little buildings. We're all doing our own thing. It's like we all make up our own Jesus, so to speak. You can't make up your own Jesus, okay? There is only the Jesus of the Bible. And that's what we study. And that's the Jesus we believe in. That's the salvation we've received. So they went out from village to village preaching the gospel again. The gospel of the kingdom of God, right? That the Messiah has come. The Savior has come. Repent of whatever you've been believing, right? If you're believing in anything but in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul, repent of that and turn to Jesus Christ and put your full faith, trust, and confidence in him alone for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul. Verse seven. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on and he was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead. Verse eight, others that Elijah had appeared and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. Verse nine, but Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. He tried to, to see Jesus, right? It says, now here the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on, right? So he heard 
all these things that were happening in Jesus. He heard that Jesus had empowered these disciples and people are getting healed everywhere of sicknesses and diseases. Um, the demons are being driven out, that people are being free, that the gospel of this, you know, the, of uh, the kingdom of God is being preached. And so Herod was inquisitive. He didn't want to see Jesus because, you know, he wanted to know him. You know, he either wanted to see him because he was inquisitive um, and he just wanted to see he had heard all the rumblings, right? Um, it says he was perplexed because some were saying, so the rumors of the day were saying that John had been raised from the dead. Herod, um, in, a, in a horrible, disgusting act, beheaded John the Baptist. Um, and, you know, when he says here in verse 9, but Herod said, I beheaded John. Jesus said there was never a better man that was born on the earth than John the Baptist. Okay? You basically got to go to heaven to find a better man than John the Baptist. And Herod just boldly here, just uh, brashly, brazenly says, but Herod said, I beheaded John. That's certainly not a boast he's saying now, okay? Um, every human being lives forever, either in eternity in hell or in heaven. Herod beheaded what Jesus said was the most righteous man that ever lived. But then his, his boldness to assert it as if it was his power. And I mean, it's, again, uh, again, all of us have made mistakes in our lives, but, but Herod is, is really boasting is bragging, is just stating, is confident in his decision. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this I hear such things about? Again, um, we don't want to boast in our in our mistakes. This is a horrible, ridiculous thing. It's, it's, it's about the worst thing that's ever been done, the beheading of John the Baptist, right? Um, again, Jesus said, of those born of women, there's never been a greater man than John the Baptist, ever, right? And, and Herod beheaded him because John was uh, was rebuking him and telling Herod that he was, you know, he was living in sin by, you know, by sleeping with his brother Philip's wife. Um, and so, again, Herod is not boasting about that now. Um, and so, again, uh, there was, again, there was just a lot of talk going around that John had been raised from the dead. It says others that Elijah had appeared and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. People were thinking Moses had said, you know, I believe it's in Deuteronomy that, you know, the Lord will send you a prophet like me. And so they were just, um, you know, they were wondering if it was the prophet that Moses had sent, or again, if it was just one of the old Testament prophets. So these were these all, all these kind of, of murmurings as to why all this is happening, why this manifestation of the kingdom of God, this manifestation of heaven was happening in Jesus. Now, the reason it was happening is Jesus is the savior. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the prophet that Moses said would appear. Um, but he's much more than a prophet. He's God. He's the savior of the world. The kingdom of God, God, the son, Jesus Christ had come to earth and the power of God, because he is God, was manifested in him. And obviously he even had power to give it to others. And certainly he's given it to us, right? Verse 10, when the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Okay. Jesus is interested in what we're doing. Okay. And when, you know, when we leave this life, 
You know, we're going to stand before Jesus and we're going to give a report of what we've done. We're not, we're not saved. We don't go to heaven. Our sins aren't forgiven by anything we've done, but we will be rewarded by Jesus according to how we've served him in his life, according to how we use our time, our gifts and talents, and how we use our money. Okay. We will stand before Jesus, right? Um, 2 Corinthians 5.10, we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive the reward for what we've done in the body, good or bad. So we will stand before Jesus and we'll give an account of our lives, how we used our time, our gifts and talents, and our money in the advancement of the kingdom of God, the Son of God, and the gospel of God. Uh, the vast majority of Christians use almost all of their time, their gifts and talents, and their money to serve themselves in their own lives and our own families and you know our own interests, our own fun, our own bank accounts, our own retirement, our own needs. Um, and it's our job to increasingly more and more use our time, our gifts and talents in our money, again, in the advancement of the gospel. You can't take it with you. Okay. When we leave this life, we can't take any of our possessions with us. We have a finite amount of time in this life to serve Jesus and to walk with Jesus. Obviously, it's it's okay for us to go to work. It's a good thing. We do need to go to work. We do need to pay our bills. We do need to have a, a roof over our head. We do need to provide for our families and our children. Um, and it's good to, to have a bank account and a retirement. But again, that you know, you those things are fine. And that ought to be a, a, a percentage of what you're using your time, your talents, and your gifts, and your money for. But there also ought to be an increasing percentage. Again, I say, let's start at 10%. Do you use 10% of your time in the advancement of the kingdom of God and the Son of God? Almost no one does. Do you use 10% of your gifts and talents in the advancement of the kingdom of God, the gospel of God, and the Son of God, Jesus? And are you giving you know, 10% of your money? And the advancement of the kingdom of God and the son of God and the gospel of God. You know, a single, it's a single digit percentage of Christians that are really laboring to use their time, talents, and money in this way. And we will be held accountable for it and we'll be rewarded accordingly. Okay. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him. Then he took them with him. And they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. Okay. Um, so they're going by Jesus. Jesus says, okay, you've been out working and, you know, and he takes them so that they can kind of have some, some R and R, some rest and relaxation and just some time to chill and to relax and to just, uh, you know, just to be, you know, with Jesus. Look what it says, verse 11, but the crowds learned about it and followed him. And we're going to see that there were 5,000 men Scholars say, you know, they only counted the men in those days. Now, scholars say there could have been 20,000 people if you count the women and children that would have been there. Okay. It says, but the crowds learned about it and followed them. Okay. So this, this massive sea of people learned where Jesus and the disciples were um, and, and they followed them. Right. And it says in verse 11, he welcomed them. It's Jesus. He welcomed them. Jesus welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Again, so imagine this massive crowd of 20,000 people. They come. The disciples are no doubt exhausted, you know, from the work they've been doing and serving. Um, 
but Jesus welcomes the crowd. Jesus is always welcoming. As Christians, and particularly as Christian ministers, one of the uh, you know one of the one of the problems in the church today is that when we become pastors or elders or leaders, you know, oftentimes we distance ourselves from the flock. It's unbiblical. Okay, I've 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 heard for for the last twenty five years. I have heard, I cannot tell you how many times, could be hundreds, that people have no access to their pastor, okay? It doesn't matter what church you're in, okay? You could be in a church with 100 people or 10,000 people, and you ought to, at some level, be able to get an appointment with your pastor just to be able to sit down and talk with them. Now, if it's a large church, maybe it'll take a little longer, but, you know, if you're in a church and you're part of a church and you're supporting a church, you ought to be able to be able to sit down with your pastor, Okay, you're a member of that pastor's flock. You're supporting the work of the kingdom of God in that church. You ought to be able to sit down either in person or on the phone and have a discussion with your pastor. Now, again, it needs to be obviously earnest. Right. If you're if you're a true disciple and you want to get to know the leaders in your church, that ought to be made available to you. Um, one of the issues today is that, you know, you'll go to church and pastors and, and church leaders and elders will, will be there and they'll shake your hand and they may talk to you in the foyer, but often there's no access. And then and we'll give reasons for this, okay? We'll have reasons. It's as if the, the pastor is protected from the flock. It's not biblical, okay? You can't find it in the Bible and certainly Jesus didn't do it. Here are crowds of, of upwards around 20,000 people and it says that Jesus welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. He personally interacted with the people. Now, again, what am I saying? Obviously, you know, uh, you know, we can get, we get busy as ministers. I get busy, but there's no reason if someone is persistent, they shouldn't be able to get some of my time. If they're persistent and they're sincere and earnest, Okay, this is not just someone that's wanting to waste time, right? Again, if you're a sincere disciple, any church leader, you know, in your body ought to be willing to sit down with you and give you some time, right? Whether it be over lunch or over a phone call or over a coffee or something, right? Again, I'm not saying three times a week, but again, there ought to be access there. And it's just this trend that's been going now for the last, whatever, 20, 25 years. I remember when I became a Christian and, uh, you know, I was at my first church and uh, Pastor Doug, incredible pastor, and uh, and Rick, who was another leader in the church. These men gave me their time. This was a big church, near 2,000 members or something like that. I don't know exactly how many people, but, you know, they would give me their time. Sometimes Doug would give me three hours in his office and Pastor Rick would, would meet with me and invite me to Bible study. And it was, uh, you know, these men gave me their time. OK, now, I was sincere. I was earnest right, in my walk with Christ. So again, um, if you're a minister today and you don't have a habit of, of giving your flock time, it's an area of repentance, okay? Um, verse 12, late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we're in a remote place here. Now, we were talking about this in Bible study yesterday. It's a it's an interesting request, right? Uh, I think it's probable that the disciples are just worn out, okay? They're tired. I mean, they've been working. As soon as they get a chance to be alone and have a rest, 
bam, I mean, 20,000 people are popped on them, right? There's chaos everywhere. So they come to Jesus. Now, you notice Jesus welcomed them, right? It said late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him, and they thought they'd give Jesus a little advice, right, Corinne? I'm good at this, okay? Susan, I'm good at giving Jesus a, a little bit of advice sometimes, right, Becky? Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowds away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we're in a remote place here. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, and as I've said, I I'm certainly guilty of giving Jesus unsolicited advice, okay? Um, undoubtedly, they're worn out. They're tired. They're beat. I mean, just serving people is hard. They have just gone out and they have done all the work he's empowered them to do. Now they're back. They're trying to relax and just trying to manage the situation is not easy, right? Um, Jesus welcomed them and they're like, okay, now enough's enough. Go ahead and let's, let's send them away now, Lord. Okay. Um, the 12 came, right? So the 12 of them are like, let's, they all got together and said, okay, let's go to Jesus and, and let's just let him know that enough is enough. Maybe, you know, he doesn't understand that it's probably better for them to go away. And uh, Jesus is not going to cater to them, though. OK, I like how they all got together and came up with a plan so that they could kind of, you know, get back to having quiet time, you know, um, and they had their reasons. Right. You know, and, and there may be some sincerity in the reasons. Right. Send the crowd away. Right. So they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because, you know, we are in a remote place here. Verse 13, he replied, you give them something to eat. <laughs> yeah, baby. <laughs> you like that, Scott? 20,000 people. There's uh, there's 12 disciples and Jesus and Jesus said, uh, why don't you go ahead and feed them? There's 5,000 men here, women and children walking around. Scholars say there could have been, you know, one wife approximately with each man and two kids. That's rolling 20,000. He replied, you give them something to eat. No, I'm not sending them away. Um, verse 13, they answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, Jesus. This, this is what it says. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. Verse 14, about 5,000 men were there. In the Gospel of John, it says that a small boy had five loaves and two fish and offered it to, to Jesus, which is a beautiful part of this. And again, this is the same account. Um, Jesus, um, you want you told us to give them something to eat. Um, I don't know if you noticed, Jesus, but there are um, this is a lot of people. Uh, we have five loaves and two fish. You think we're going to go somewhere and buy like, Jesus, what are you talking about, right? I like this. But he said to his disciples, verse 14, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. Why does he do this? Why does he command them to break the people up into groups of 50 each and to have them sit down? Okay, so they come to Jesus and say, Lord, we, you know, we, we, we can't do this. Okay, we don't know what you're saying. Do you want us to go buy food? He said, just have the people sit down in groups of about 50 each. Okay, 
So, so break them up in groups of 50. So what did that look like, right? You know, so each of the 12 go out, start counting, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Right. Y'all get over there. Go ahead and take your kids with you. I know that's a little more. All right, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 11, 50. All right, you go ahead. 20,000 people. What is that? That's like uh, 400 groups of 50. That's like a lot of groups of people. And, and how long did that take for 12 guys? I mean, the crowd is un undoubtedly a little bit ornery. There's a little bit of chaos going on. I mean, people don't listen. You know you walked up to some people and you said, come on, guys, I need you to sit down. We need you to get in about a group of 50. And they're like, I don't want to sit down. Why do we got to sit down? I don't know, bro. Jesus told us to have you sit down in groups of 50. It's interesting. Jesus doesn't explain the command. Sometimes Jesus will give us a command and he doesn't explain it to us. Right, Esther? He doesn't tell us, Peyton, why he's giving us the command. He just says, you give them something to eat. They complain they can't do it. He says, have them sit down in groups of about 50. Now, the disciples have to go out and obey Jesus, and Jesus hasn't told them what he's going to do. But it's clear here that Jesus isn't going to bless disorder, right? You see that, Uncle Dennis? He's not going to bless disorder. Have the people sit down in groups of about 50 each. The blessing, the feeding is not going to come when there's chaos. And it's the same in our lives. Okay, When there's just disorder everywhere, the blessing of Jesus doesn't come in the face of disorder. Okay, We need to, we need to be people who are, who are humbling ourselves before Jesus and looking for his hand. When we live our lives in complete disorder, generally the blessing of Jesus doesn't come. It says the disciples did so. And everybody sat down. So now everybody's looking around. All right, we're sitting here. Verse 16. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. They all ate. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. My, 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 my. Wow. Mm. So as a side note, if the people don't sit down, they don't get the blessing. Okay. So if they don't bring themselves in order. Okay. If they won't sit down and bring order, the blessing doesn't come. So again, oftentimes when there's disorder in our lives, we're going to have to obey Jesus and bring some order to the disorder. And that's when the blessing is going to come. Okay, verse 15, the disciples did so and everybody sat down. Verse 16, now that they're all sitting, right, Leah? Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them, Alicia, right? So now again, if I was there, um, Jesus doesn't ask for anything. This is kind of different. Obviously, the vast majority of our prayers are to ask for things, and, and we are supposed to ask our Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit for things in prayer. But Jesus doesn't ask for anything. It says, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. He actually looked up to heaven and thanked his Father for the five loaves and the two fish. I'd have been like, Father, I don't know what I'm going to do here. I got 20,000 people. I can't feed these people. Look at, they all sitting down. They're hungry. There's kids over there, Father. People are hungry. I ain't got enough. What am I going to do? Jesus was thankful 
for the five loaves that he did have and the two fish that he did have, man. Okay. He was actually thankful that he had the five loaves and the two fish. And when he was thankful for what he did have, instead of complaining about all that he didn't have, <laughs> like we all do, they not only had enough to feed the 20,000 people, the 5,000 men plus women and children, but they picked up 12 basketfuls. Okay. As far as how this happened, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. Okay, so you notice nothing was multiplied till it was put in the hands of Jesus. Okay, nothing was multiplied. Okay, okay. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. Okay. So the, the, the process of is to make sure that Jesus has his hands on it. Okay. Do you have a lifestyle of inviting Jesus into all the very aspects of your life, Dustin? Do you have a lifestyle of making Jesus a part of everything, Melanie, spiritually, physically, emotionally, financially, relationally? Ian, Benny, are you consistently making Jesus a part of every aspect of your life. Because you see what happens when Jesus puts his hands on it, okay? When Jesus got his hands on the five loaves and the two fish, apparently there's a multiplication to where now there's not only enough to feed the 5,000 men, could be upwards around 20,000 with women and children, but they didn't pick up five loaves. They picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. But you see the process. Whatever you have, put it in the hands of Jesus, but then you notice Jesus breaks the bread, he multiplies it, then he gave it to the disciples to set before the people. So Jesus commissioned the disciples after he had multiplied or while he was multiplying the bread and fish to set before the people. So you see this cooperation that Jesus, you know, employs the disciples, commissions the disciples, you know, orders the disciples, commands the disciples to distribute it. So, you know, Jesus could have just done it all himself, but once Jesus's hands were on the bread and loaves, papa, right? Then, right, the multiplication happened. Then the blessing came. Then he gave them to his disciples to faithfully give to the people. And it certainly works the same today. Okay. We want to make sure everything is in the hands of Jesus. You want to invite Jesus into all the circumstances, all the situations, good and bad, right? Blessed and difficult in every aspect of your life, spiritually, physically, emotionally, financially, relationally, in all these relationships and everything you do financially, spiritually, all the emotional situations, all your physical situations, right? Good and bad, you want to make Jesus a part of it. You want to increasingly involve Jesus in all these things because you see there is no blessing until Jesus has his hands on it. But then after Jesus brings the blessing, again, he entrusts the work of the distribution to, to, to give out the blessing to the disciples. And okay, so the more you're walking with Jesus, the more he'll entrust you with the ministry of distributing 
In this case, it was natural food. It may be spiritual food. You'll be distributing the word of God. When we've gone to Africa, we do both, right? We bring the word of God, the spiritual food, and we bring we 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 uh, we always buy and bring natural food to the hungry people as well. It says, verse seventeen, they all ate and were satisfied. Not only was there enough to feed everyone, but they had as much as they they wanted. They were satisfied again. You want to make Jesus a bigger part of everything, Matt. Right, Chris? They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace, Lord. We thank you for our Bible, Father. We just thank you, Father. We ask you to we ask you to help us, Lord. Forgive us when we're like the disciples. Forgive us when we, you know, consistently make, you know, um, unsolicited recommendations, Lord. We may even come as a group, Lord, and be praying and, and telling you what to do, Lord. We know, I know we're supposed to pray, Lord, but uh, Lord, have to, help us to have a heart to feed the people. Lord, we do get worn out, but help us have a heart as you did, Lord, to to welcome the people and to serve them. And forgive us, Father, where where we don't make your people a priority in our lives. Holy Spirit, we ask you to give us wisdom, Lord, in, in how to do these things. Um, Lord, we, we just thank you for your mercy and goodness on our lives, Lord. Um, we do thank you for the power that you've given us, the power to do the things you've called us to do. And I ask you to forgive us, Father. Please forgive us. Forgive me, Father. We were just such a fractured church, such a broken church, Lord, such a broken body, just all doing our own things. Help us to repent one and all, Father, and to be instruments of unity, to bring your people back into unity of the truth, of the word of God, and of the Son of God, Jesus Christ our Lord. Holy Spirit, we just thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your goodness. We ask you to seal this message to our hearts now. Give us eyes that see Jesus and ears that hear Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen and amen.